0: Welcome back to The Sizzle. Today's episode is with Fiona, who's an NHS doctor. And we talk about all sorts of amazing things to do with medicine, self care, how to research the best ways to look after yourself, the process of becoming a doctor, the politics of the NHS, and much, much more. Now, this episode is one of the last ones, which was recorded using the 2018 setup. So hold tight for the new mic system in 2019. It really is special, and I can't wait to hear what you think about it. But for now, let's jump in with Fiona. All right, so today I'm here with... Fiona. Okay. And what do you do, Fiona? Uh,
1: I am a doctor, but more importantly, I'm a radiologist. So I read scans and I interpret them and um, do a lot with diagnosis. And I currently work in an NHS trust in London.
0: The reason I really wanted to talk to you today is that I, I've had great experience with the NHS. I also feel like it's a service where like, everyone uses it. I don't really know anything about it. I don't really know much about being a doctor and I'm also just really interested in like the infrastructure of getting looked after. Like Mm -hmm. so those are those are all like motivations for why I want to chat to you. Okay. Um I I also feel like just thinking about my own schooling, right? Mm -hmm. People had to choose to be a doctor so early.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think that's actually I have a lot of experience about that. So um, let's start with choosing your career very early because it's, like, hey,
0: it's like 14. quite,
1: yeah, it's actually quite close to my heart. But this topic because I do look at people now entering medicine or is in medicine for a long time. More often than not, they stumble upon it, like it and get into it. Um, and I think this country in the UK, we're very lucky that it's post-grad degrees because I come from Hong Kong and it's, it's not a known thing having a postgrad degree. You know, in Hong Kong you have to choose and you just have to, you know, get in and stick, never come out. Stick
0: with it, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: That's that's it. Um but in UK I think it's great there's postgrad degrees. Um it allows you time to, I guess, do something else before you go into it and have a think if this is truly what you want. Now at the tender age of, I don't know, eighteen or seventeen when you have to apply, and actually before you apply for university, you have to take the boxes of getting, you know, some sort of medicine taster course or work experience or, you know, doing something that sounds a bit meaningful on your CV for the UCAS application. Well, and
0: let alone the right A-levels.
1: Oh, yeah, forget you about know. that. Oh, yeah. no, no, that's just the bare basics, mate. That's just the bare basics. You know, there's, as with everything in life, things are getting more and more competitive. So, I mean, it's been a long, long time since I've applied, but um i remember the norm is to having a medicine taster course what is that so it's kind of a day or a weekend of somewhere in university campus that has medicine as a course okay um, and it's a course usually filled with maybe i don't want to make this up but roughly about 100 people let's say um and it's usually a level students that are interested or even less than that, it could be GCSEs, could be AS level. Because mm-hmm. by the time you are A levels, you're a bit too late. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you you go into these courses for a weekend, and you have people who are doctors and speaking to you, and you know inspire you. Yeah. And at the end, most important, you get a certificate to say that you've been on these courses. Cool. I have forgotten what I did in those courses, uh, but you are after that certificate.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: also, to obviously talk about it on the Newcastle mm-hmm. application. Alongside with that, it's almost essential now to get, or even back in my day, uh, to get work experience a week in hospital or a GP or something mm. to say that you've witnessed it. Now, I'm not adverse to you know, work experience in the relevant healthcare setting, but usually unless you've been doing it for a long time with commitment, say like half an afternoon every week for two years Mm. how much do you gain within one week of work experience not much it's kind of going on holiday isn't it well and also like
0: Um, so as a psychologist we get people contacting us all the time like oh can we come and shadow yeah it must be the
1: same thing and there's a
0: tension because yeah we really want to have amazing people coming into the profession but equally we're doing quite sensitive work so you know what what actual kind of exposure people are people going to get if they're coming for like a week or, you know, oh, a day? Gosh. They're going to get essentially probably the same as like Googling or YouTube in some yeah, videos. Yeah,
1: I mean, social media is now yeah. great. I'm sure you can now go hashtag hospital and <laughs> hashtag get experience. your work experience. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but those were, if you like, the tick box things that you had to do. Yeah. Um, and you do have to know whether you want to be doing medicine or not by the what you're usually about 17 when you apply yeah conventionally um I did but it was almost I made a decision I think I want to do medicine I think that's cool for the lack of better word. yeah um and people told me oh you know there's a lot of exams which at the age of 17, you're like, oh, well, whatever. I crush exams. Yeah. Yeah. I can do these and you know, GCSEs. I can definitely do these. Oh God, these are difficult. These are different. Uh, but you have no idea what it means to be a doctor. And I think, I used to think when you make a decision to enter something, you should stick to it until the end. And that's used to be my mindset. Hmm. Um, but I wasn't very flexible as a person to think, you might not like it. Um, and there are indeed many people who you know, quit in the first year. And actually, so they should, because it's, it's a long career. Um,
0: I mean, also, like, cognitively, as an adolescent, your brain is going through some massive changes. And your, your personality changes over absolutely. that time. At the age of seventeen, to make a commitment to work for yeah. you know until the age of what seventy, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, no. in
0: a specific field—that yeah. that's a big ask.
1: It is, and I, I mean, I'm lucky because I eventually I still love it very much. But I see why people don't, and what do you do when you don't? You can fall out of love with a profession.
2: That's deep. I know that is Steve.
1: with a person. That alone, a, a career. Yeah. yeah. Um, And I think these are the things I have concerns about, but I wouldn't say because of that you should not apply because by that argument, then no one should ever progress in life, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, But that's how I feel. And it's, how do you know what you want in 10 years, 20 years time? I
0: suppose like, you know, the typical way of exploring stuff is to, okay, I might do an internship or, okay, I might, you know go and work in PR and then you've got like transferable experience and you can do something else but medicine there are so many hurdles
1: absolutely and I think especially I mean if I talk you through my career progression since 18 um I went in straight into medicine it was a five year course and I think the standard is now five years unless you do the post-grad fast track thing um but it's five years and everyone usually get a chance to add one more year on top of that for an intercalated bsc usually people do it um at the third year or fourth year it gives you well two degrees if you stick to medicine at the end or you can just kind of cut your ties after you've done your intercalated year to say actually i hate this Mm -hmm. and i've just got a bsc now and i'm just going to move on with my life thank you very much I don't know what the proportion is but there's that option uh-huh. um so I did the five years I didn't choose to intercalate because I didn't I couldn't find anything I might to do an extra year and I just wanted to get out there and start working
0: yeah um, but can I pause here? Yeah? so how did how was that how so you you've decided oh medicine could be cool mm-hmm. I'm good at exams mm-hmm. then like four years into your course how are you feeling
1: I think the first, I mean, every course is slightly different, but the first two years are mainly lecture based or, you know, tutorial based. So that's not, you're not kind of in it to feel it. Uh, But you just, in fairness, you do have to know the basics of the science before you progress. But uh, those two years were, I guess, like any other courses, maybe more exams than usual. In actual fact, I have to tell you that I struggled for someone that never struggled academically. in the first two years I struggled definitely academically and I was lazy I had no motivation um and it was I just didn't I just had this optimistic feeling that oh it will all work out anyway so Mm -hmm. I slacked and I nearly actually in my year two I I failed my first set of exams had to retake and thankfully pull through Mm -hmm. Uh, because that was the first wake-up call of like if you don't pull yourself together for this one you ain't gonna succeed anything (laughs) Not, not in that sense but you know if you can't even work hard. You're not going to, no matter what you do, if you don't put mm. any effort in it, you're not going to sort of come out the other end and be like, oh, I winged it and I got it. Yeah, yeah.
2: Um,
1: And it, I guess I learned it the hard way, but pulled through. And the third year was the actual first clinical year. So you, as medical students, you're split into rotations. Um, and that's the fun bit where you get to meet more people. For example, my year was huge, about 400 people. And, mm. um, So you will never know everyone in your year. But you are split into what we call firms. So about eight to 10 people per firm, and you get attached to this consultant or the specialty in this specific hospital. And you learn to talk to each other, get on on with each other um, and work as a team to see patients. And often you will see in teaching hospitals, that's where these firms come into, you would have Students coming around, chatting to patients, taking a very, what we call a long history. So you would ask questions like, why, how did you end up here? It's almost like preluding to, to being a doctor, basically, mm. you know, when you first see a new patient, to establish rapport, to chat to them, to see why they come in, how mm. they feel about the whole thing. And I think I have to say, and it's now a distant memory, but I won't forget this. It was tough to go from all... Um, I wouldn't say all lecture based and you have a brief idea of what you're going to get yourself into uh, but to kind of being in a clinical environment and speaking to patients and realising that actually in hospitals everyone are pretty ill Yeah. no one's there for fun yeah, yeah. Um, but it hits you and then people you know people especially my parents they're not medical and they go oh my god you must see a lot of life and death and you get a bit trying like yeah I'm very important I'm important medical students I see life and death but it doesn't hit you until much further on mm. because as a medical student you you're still just observing
0: um, so like this is before becoming a junior doctor yeah yeah absolutely mm. it's still
1: in the course so, so third like- fourth and fifth year of the actual medical degree um, you kind of you get dotted around in hospitals yeah. so kind of learning or have an idea what people do and I think that is when I certainly think that's when I struggled a bit at the beginning of knowing that actually people are very complex yeah. beings and it's not like illness I try to cure you or I try to diagnose you find a, me- find a solution
2: yeah.
1: boom boom and you go yeah. or you know,
2: know that's that you. yeah
1: no it doesn't work like that it certainly does not work like that in, in tv dramas unfortunately um, I
0: have a, like a, a memory of this would be like 2012 right so I was uh, my appendix burst and I was oh. in hospital Ah, oh. oh. <laughs> the doctor glints in your eye um, and yeah I was in hospital and I remembered this junior doctor who I, I feel like had just started their placement it might have even been their first placement
1: August <laughs> unfortunately oh, yeah so
0: were. there we go yeah. and this guy came up to me I'm basically like came in oh hello and basically like tried to put his hands on me to like do something oh
2: god
0: and so I I've been a teacher and I literally there was this weird dynamic where he's the doctor he's coming he tried to touch me and I, and I just went I went hold on mm-hmm. and, and I did teacher voice on him yeah and he mm-hmm. kind of his his uh his kind of confidence cracked a little bit and suddenly he was like this child and I was this teacher
1: yeah yeah telling him yeah
2: we had this
0: moment I was like <laughs> I don't know who you are yeah. you know just think about and he'd obviously got so wrapped up in like the situation yeah, yeah, the complexity yeah. you're describing he forgot the basics of
1: absolutely. I'm about
0: so this is something I'd like to do and in order to yeah. do that I need to touch your arm or whatever
1: there's a lot of similarities in your professional you know other professions to to this isn't there actually before you go around you know and actually this this is the third, fourth, fifth year of the medical school is drumming that Introduction because actually you are supposed to go in, and we used to get examined on that all the time. You're supposed to come into this clinical room. There's always going to be a hand gel somewhere around. You are supposed to make this noise of I am washing my hands vigorously (laughs) to kill all the bacteria on my hands. And then you go try to shake hands and you go, Hello, I am Dr. Blah blah. Yeah. I'm one of the blah blah of this hospital. And um I would like to know more about how you came in. You're supposed to do an introduction and then patient at least know who the hell you are. And then you proceed and you ask for permission to examine them. It's not like, or you lay down and we'll find out what's going to go on with you. Um, Those are the the very important stuff that we are taught almost a bit too excessively. But Mm. you will be surprised because I think we are all very different people. You can all look at us medical students or junior doctors or consultants or the whole medical professional as one, but we're not. And realistically, I think this is where your experience being a teacher is super interesting mm-hmm. in this because we didn't learn what we know how to do from day one. It's a very gradual process mm-hmm. of teaching people. And there's a lot of talk about you know teaching people how to be good with patients, bedside manners. Certain degree come with it from experience. The more experienced you are, Mm. the better you get, you know, by anything. Uh, But how do you teach that to someone who inherently finds it difficult to break the ice? How do you teach that to someone who are academically super gifted and can work out a diagnosis in a split second, Mm -hmm. but he can't look at you in the eye?
0: So this is the thing is like, when I think about the types of people that are attracted to being a psychologist, mm-hmm. you're gonna assume certain what you know, soft skills, for one of a better phrase, right? Yeah. But then I think about the process of becoming a doctor and actually the academic rigour, mm-hmm. I, I imagine is such that you might uh, wean out people with or, or almost yes. like um, you're focusing so much on one style of being.
2: Yeah. Maybe
0: yeah. it's in contradiction to
1: yeah, um, you know the type is.
0: of bedside manner that you're you're seeking. I don't know what you think. No,
1: no, I I absolutely agree, and I think you know some people would say, oh, UK based so much on on academic. I look at Hong Kong. Um, I I know I have been hardworking, and I know I'm not stupid, but I think had I been in Hong Kong, my grades wouldn't have been good enough to be a doctor. Would that make I'm not saying that people who have amazing grades wouldn't become a, a better doctor, but I'd certainly think everything is by comparison, isn't it? When mm. I look at Hong Kong, I do think they focus way too much on grades. Um, here, I think that's where the postgrad bit is very helpful because nothing beats determination I yeah, think, uh-huh. and hard work. And that's, I used to think if you're very talented at something, you ace it, No, nah, no. Nah, nah you need to put in the hard work. And if you're determined and you know your flaws, and I think you, you need insights and you need determination. If you know that you're not great with people skills, I definitely think there are certain things you can do to, to help it. But you need to realise that. And you need to also, unfortunately, get a very good teacher to inspire you to yeah. learn. Um, You can learn it yourself. Mm. Uh, DIY. There's a lot of DIY involved, I suppose. But you do want the combination of both which is very difficult mm. um do
0: you ever record yourselves as part of the process of Becoming like the psychology doctorate, mm-hmm. there's a lot of recording, and you break down oh body language. Yeah, yeah. You know, almost frame by frame, mm-hmm. like oh, so like feet, feet just crossed her arms. Yeah, Joe's like gesticulating across the table. You know, yep. now he's smiling, like really thinking about how you're affecting someone.
1: Actually, interestingly, for for medical school interviews, I don't record that being an important part. Definitely, as we were closer to graduation so closer to obtaining that mbb's degree the holy grail um there's a lot of breaking down and actually interestingly because i applied for gp job um a few years ago Mm -hmm. the and as you can imagine gp you know there's certain attributes that one that always associates with a certain subspecialty so gp you would like to think that he's the or she or he is the sort of the the I don't want to say all-purpose flower, but... A multi-purpose flour? <laughs> yeah. So what I mean is, you know, someone that can guide you through, be very patient, um, you know, is a bit of an all-rounder. I think that's the only way I can describe it. Um, well, I
0: mean, like, I'm ignorant to it, but they are a general practitioner. Yeah, they right? are
1: literally very general. Yeah, you know, yeah. you do, she does not need to know the, the Krebs cycle off by heart, which is this complex god knows like mechanical thing going on in the body um but they usually would be you would imagine very good with people mm. um so when i applied for gp as you do you go to these courses to help you through a gp interview yep. and there's a whole industry behind that i'm going into that today but they literally have actress actors coming in to present mm-hmm. the patient. And I don't think that would be dissimilar to what you guys might do either. And they frame, they literally video you yeah. how you in a six minute or seven minute mock consultation. How do you start? How do you finish? What questions you ask? What's your body language? The actress starts crying. Like what do you do? Do you sneak out a tissue underneath him or, or her for that matter? Yeah, yeah. How do you deal with it? Um, in the same way, actually, I remember in medical school, we used to have a thing where, you know, the finals are coming up. The finals are made up with written exam and the practical aspect of it. we called called OSCEs. Okay. I, don't, I can't remember what it stands for, but the OSCEs part would be like, you know, six-minute stations. There'll be 12 or 20 of them. Oh. And you rotate through mm. them. There'll be different stuff. Like, it could be suturing. It could be explaining to a patient, um, you know, a, a basic procedure or it will be a six-minute. Huh. The difficult one was, you know, the father of a of your patient has come in demanding to know why you have prescribed birth control pills. Your task is to explain confidentiality or something like okay, that. Okay, okay. That was the most awkward six minutes of my life. I'm just going to erase that from my memory. But those are the little stations you mm. have, and you are, you know, you have to pass them overall to progress to next year or graduate, and whatnot. Um, and those are very much. Testing on your personal skills yeah 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 um, i mean in Venice, they're all actors actors so they would have heard the same spiel again hello i'm fiona i'm a third year medical student is it okay if i chat to you today mm-hmm. um but it's been drummed into you
0: yeah and, and i think i think that i mean from a user perspective that's really important right but so you were kind of talking a bit about the journey of yours in, oh, in yeah. medicine. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we've, like, we've heard a bit about the five years. Yes. Yeah. Intense, intense process.
2: Yeah.
0: And what was next? Because I suppose I don't really know oh, the how, structure. like how, how do you end up doing radiology or whatever?
1: Um, so you graduate, you get your MBBS graduation, happy days, and then you enter what now we call foundation training so that's the proper junior doctor Mm. and there's a two-year training program so actually if i remember correctly when you graduate you don't get your gmc so the general medical council registration straight away they give you a provisional one okay so you have to actually finish your first year of foundation training in order to get your full registration Mm -hmm. um and your but realistically your first two years are if you like fresh off the boat okay um in the big wild world um and everything in medical school is supposed to prepare you for those at least the first year Mm -hmm. it does not no matter how many years of medical school i think unless you are naturally very confident and know everything which no one is um you would struggle yeah i think you would really really struggle because it's you are you are given a lot of responsibilities. You don't know constantly whether you're doing the right thing or the wrong thing. Mm. If you're offending anyone with your questioning style, you want to please your boss because
2: everyone
1: does. Everyone does. Who doesn't? Um, you want to get along with your colleagues. You want to have a social life.
2: Mm.
1: I think medical school is hard enough, but the, that the at least the first year is is really the sort of pushy out there. Mm. I, I don't want to say survival of the fittest, but certainly there's
0: element to it. You were talking earlier about like, oh, I see life and death. Like, this is like, oh, you know, I'm really important. Yeah. This is like,
1: that's proper. Like, in yeah, phase now.
0: I yeah. bet. And, and so like, I, I know there've been some books that have come out recently about like being a junior doctor and there are like comedians who are like, I'm no longer a doctor, but I used to be a doctor yeah. and they tell these stories. And like, I suppose I want to hear from you about like the hours emotions like how is it going you know you're not you're not really prepared because you've done you've done observation you've done uh, knowledge acquisition and now you're like okay I'm making decisions that may save or kill
2: people
1: often I hate to say it but often you would feel the decisions you make will be a lot more important than I think want to say in real life but every decision I think it applies to everyone who starts off no matter how little as it is feels super important and that year it's um you know talk about working hours it's a bit of a eye-opener um I'm not going to pretend I definitely struggled but the good thing about freshly graduated is that you still have a bit of that energy and a lot of adrenaline drive And yep, yep. that um, I was lucky the scheme I was in or the, the contract I was with didn't require me to do night shift in the first year mm. um, which is plus or minus you have to do it at some point right um, it's going to hit you in the face but collectively I remember then doing night shift again um, in the second year that I started god those were difficult yeah. I remember vividly working seven nights in a row so luckily there's something called the um so if there's a, a, a time directive part of the EU thing we don't know what's going to happen after Brexit probably I, I would imagine they wouldn't reverse it but basically you're supposed to have certain amount of rest in between each shift very much like a pilot and then um,
0: that, is that about circadian
1: rhythms not so much as to and just to give you enough rest in between the shift okay cool you're supposed to sleep through it. how many of us actually do I you know don't manage but that's by the by Um, but I remember doing seven night shifts in a row so you know you would start on Monday night at 9am till uh, 9pm till Tuesday 9am you come back again Tuesday night 9pm to Wednesday morning 9am and vice versa for seven nights Um, and luckily then I would get the week off I remember that Or you would do things like four nights in a row, you have two days off and go back to normal rhythm. Yeah. Um,
0: Is that physiologically though, is that enough for your body to adapt? Definitely (laughs) not. Some
1: may argue yes, some may argue no. And in the same way, I still know people um, that can survive, not survive, but function very well with five hours sleep every night. They don't need more. They feel that they don't need more
0: so like we talked but we talked a little I mean this is before we started recording but we talked about Matthew Walker's book about sleep and I suppose obviously we know that in terms of a normal distribution some people will need more or less sleep than others but I also am aware that if you are tired
1: Mm.
0: cognitively it could be similar to being drunk and so you you might not know that you need sleep you might feel like but
1: there's not much you can do about it because you're in the shit now it certainly oh god it certainly feels like it's happened. But I am genuinely not sure as to what one can do about it because some people just, you know, it's got to be manned. The service has to be manned yeah, yeah, at yeah. night. You can't be of like... Of
0: course. <laughs> like, Sorry, no doctors at <laughs> night. You know,
1: after 9pm, tough. Um, it doesn't work like that. And there are certainly some professions where it might attract people to go into as a result. GP, for example, you know, it might change now, but... Usually it's a 9 till 5 or, you know, lots of practices now do late evenings. Yeah. So like 9 till 9 or whatever. But still, no GP surgery as far as I know, apart from the urgent care centres, have a 9pm till 9am mm-hmm. service. So one may argue, actually, if you know that sleep is incredibly important for you, which I completely understand, then you would want to be a GP. Yeah, yeah. Because it suits you. You know, also, as this is one thing I haven't really touched on. Well, I did say, you know, how do you know what you want in 20 years time? How do you know that at 18, when you go into medical school, you go in with ideas of, I want to be become a heart surgeon and operate on the heart in the middle of the night or do transplant. And the reality is, do you think in 20 years time, you will be able to stay awake, function very, very well in order to attach organs to organs in the middle of the night? Um, I think people definitely become a lot more realistic as time passes. And I think the F1, F2 is in a bit testing year.
0: So those are the two years you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. yeah,
1: definitely. I think because my other half, for example, um, I think he wanted to do heart surgery. And then I think, you know, he was doing his foundation year and he realized, no, 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 (laughs) it's not going to happen. So I think you kind of make your decision partly, you know, due to what your body can.
0: Well, and also, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but like, over a career, you might be able to do different types of medicine according to where you're at.
1: Wow. I'll um, no. we'll also touch on that. There used to be, in the good old days... Um, when was that? Right now, good okay. old days, definitely not these 10 years. Okay. Move before where people do rotate from specialty to specialty mm-hmm. and then decide to settle on something. So you might have someone who just freshly become a consultant, but actually he's done youngs in this other specialty which will be very helpful when he sees patients with lots of different um conditions right. uh, but now there's a drive for students for medical students and also junior doctors to know what they want to do you know so now there's a the drive of from f2 which is another a career progression now f1 f2 i mean not to even mention that when you're a medical student in final year you have to go through I think there's now a test of some description um, to see your situational awareness um and some questions for you to answer might have changed now but there's a competition of some description for you to enter your dream job in mm. marks as an f1 f2 um for a lot of people by the time you're medical final year you might be attached one way or the other and you want to stay in the location this is the bit where I think medicine here is not great. You have to be extremely competitive to want to be in one area in F1, F2. Um, you, you know, I really wanted to stay in London. And luckily, by maybe around McGrath's intervention, I managed to stay in London for my F1, F2. But I know lots of people didn't. They had to go to Surrey, Kent, Newcastle, Dundee places that you don't know anyone. And you start again. And if you have another half, if you're ready, single, ready to mingle, who knows? But if you're not, and if you want to stay in one area for family, for other, you know, whatnot,
2: um,
1: you can then apply for special circumstances. But otherwise, if you just want to stay in London, or you want to go to Manchester, it doesn't really happen like Mm. that. So that's another bit of competition before you get your... And and then you get your F one, F two job, and they're usually quite tied. Yeah, there will be one area at least. Um, different hospital it might be, but then you have to then decide what you want to apply for. So it's, it's a stepwise approach, and each yeah, step is a competition.
0: I suppose, and, and I get, I understand that you know it makes sense. You become more specialised as you get more experience in a certain area. I was just thinking when you were talking about like the practicality of doing surgery in your 60s at night i I was wondering whether you know there might be a situation where when you are kind of into your 50s or 60s you might kind of have an operationally different role because of just acknowledging like physiological
2: differences
1: i'm mm, i guess the the part of the stuff I do now sometimes do require calling my boss in, uh, who some of them are in the fifties, um, to come in and do something overnight, which is fairly complex. Usually, you know, if you have to call someone in to do something in the middle of night, they are pretty sick. So it's not like the best selection of <laughs> the population yeah, yeah. to do it on, but they are all very, very good. Yeah. Um, Maybe I do you just get
0: better and as you get better know. it's less demanding i
1: bloody hope so because I, I look <laughs> at my bosses and i'm like i don't think i can do what you're doing at you know this time of the night and i often this is kind of progressing jumping to like what i do now currently but sometimes i do do scans of someone who's just been given a new kidney so organ transplant so kidney transplant usually kidney transplant because they can just happen literally in the middle of the night you cannot predict when the kidney is going to come available to you um, and so everything happens yeah. kind of with a very short notice. And then we get often called as radiologists to go up and as they've closed the tummy and put the knee kidney in close the tummy, they just want to make sure that the kidneys got the blood flow going into it. And the connections are all right mm. um, to break it down. And you, you see the scan and you scan it at about three or 4am. I remember recently doing one and you see the surgeon and it's not an um, easy operation. I saw it's hugely complex. You get a team of people staring at you, and you're like staring at them, and you think, uh, "It's okay. It's fine. It looks good."
2: So but
0: they're they, they're waiting. Like, do we yeah. need to open this person up yeah, again yeah, and yeah, like yeah, yeah. Rejig absolutely, it? Absolutely,
1: absolutely. Huh. Although they have a good idea that it's most likely going to be fine. It's been straightforward, um, but it's now a routine thing. We go up to scan all the mm. all the stuff that's been transplanted straight after because it's easier to open them up again when you just close yeah, them yeah. then uh, so a few hours later I'm like oh sorry we've got the scan and uh it doesn't look <laughs> great now so it but i see you know i look at them and i i do truly think thank you for doing this because you've given yeah. a new life to another person
0: so you made me think of uh two things the first is like a fact that i remember from year five
1: mm.
2: which
0: is that blood spins 45 degrees as it comes out the aorta. Is that true? Did I remember oh that right?
1: There are many different vessels that come out of it. So okay. some of it 45 degrees, some of it who knows. All right,
0: okay. Some of it. Alright, well, I'll, I'll fact. Right, I'll fact check that another time. Yeah. Um, the other thing you made me think of is like amateur, amateur doctors. And what I mean by that is like mm. Google. Oh god. So I, so you were talking <laughs> about like, you know, you might you might not qualify for a certain drug or you might not. Uh, be judged to, you know, need a certain drug or, or, drug or, or whatever. But, because of Google, I might be coming to you and being like, Fee, Absolutely this good. is what I need. I uh, need yeah, X. Yeah. yeah, yeah. How, like, how do, how, how are we dealing with this?
1: Luckily, I don't deal so much with it anymore because in the line of my work, I scan and I interpret scans. Got you. So, had I not been doing the surgical side of it, I wouldn't be Contacting patients much at all because it would just be a scan is given to me and I need to make a report out of it. So I don't prescribe oh. much anymore. I'm not the one that sort of say, "Oh, you've got bad acne. Here's this amazing drug." Yeah. Because certainly there would be people. I'm sure, um, for example, have bad acne come in and say, "I want this. This more expensive drug." Yeah. Because I know, and I've heard, and I've seen that it works on. XYZ. Mm.
2: Um,
1: and then the doctor might go, well, actually, have you tried? Da, 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 da. Something that's cheaper and less I wouldn't say invasive, but less potent as mm-hmm. well, you know. Um, I didn't want to say body friendly either, but have you used a face wash called this that contains a that rather yeah. than this drug you have to take and we have to make sure we are not want to get pregnant? Um but like yeah, um in my very limited experience, I also and people coming into AE demanding for certain types of drugs. My favorite one being um the uh, uh, Adderall, the ADHD. Simulant. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. In the 3 a.m. in the morning.
0: And they're like, I look, was,
1: the club's look still notes. going. This is what I need. <laughs> and you go, right. No medical school prepares you for that conversation. Um, and you know, there are there are legitimate requests that you know you can't mm-hmm. give them. I don't mean in this case at all, but there are there would be, you know, there'll be this new and wonderful drug. You want to give them that. But you know actually, you know, there's a stepwise approach you're meant to take yeah. because it might work. Um, and it might save you number one money. And I hate to say it, but it does, it might save people money. And I used to think money saving, we shouldn't think about money and, and you know you can be all very romantic about this. But I think my boss said to me, have you thought about if you use this equipment and actually cost £15, say, you know, for example, whereas if you had used this other equipment to do the same job, um, but you find this more expensive equipment a bit easier, £15, the other one is £1, 15-fold difference. Mm. Have you thought about if, you know, in the same way that if we do have a budget, because you don't really think about budget as a junior doctor. I don't. I really don't. And that's probably probably one of the downfalls of me in the future is (laughs) kind of money Um, but for the rest of the 14 pounds you can do more procedures on other people that need it
2: Mm.
1: you don't i certainly didn't think of it like that until he said it and he goes you know if i use this then the cheaper one i can use which he does a great job with it but he's like many years ahead of me so forget about that but you know if you can use that equipment you can then many other people can fit within the budget to have the same procedure done. Yeah, You know, if you think about it like that, then yes, cost saving is, is fairly important. Isn't
0: it? It's hard because I, like, I come with an understanding of my body. Yeah. And, and subjectively, I care about my well-being. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, fee make me better. Yeah. And you have to balance that with, okay, but I also really want to make 14 other people Better, better. yeah. That's a tough one. It's a
1: constant battle. And unfortunately, it's not an unlimited budget. No. Um,
0: Or even like, yeah, I mean, you're talking about money, but there's also time
2: and and capacity and stuff like that.
1: There is the whole, you know, if you... I mean, the efficiency comes into it as well, because time is money, literally.
0: Um, (laughs) The city of medicine. Time is money.
1: Time is literally money. And you want to do... You want to be efficient and do as much as possible, but without risking the quality. That can be hard. Or, you know, actually from a training perspective, I'm relatively junior in the grand scheme of things of my career. It's going to be another God knows how many years until I retire. But of course, I'm a lot slower in doing things. Mm. But I always, it's very difficult. I find I feel quite guilty at times when I know because of my boss wanting me to learn how to do this properly he's taking the time which is fine he's taking the time I don't care I love you all but for the patient it's taking longer for mm. him to, to get the procedure done I feel very guilty of that but then on the balance if you don't if you don't spend that amount of time how are you meant to learn yeah. and as with any procedure you have to do quite a few times in order to get the hang of it mm. you know any procedure, be it boxing, be it I don't know, aerial skills. Um, but until you've kind of spend your time and try to do it all, not going to get any faster. And I always feel very guilty even now uh, when I know if I just do it myself, it would take maybe twice longer than my boss.
2: Yeah.
1: If my boss had bashed through all the cases, maybe we could have fitted in another two. Yeah. How do you balance that? Wow. It's, time is money so then actually my training not only am i taking salary they are investing a lot of money in me
0: but also i mean there's this kind of there's a pipeline of experience right yeah so like okay
1: nice
0: you could you could fit in extra patients now if your boss just did it and you didn't but then in x years time when your boss is retired mm-hmm. and you have to be doing it absolutely you know like like again we're talking we're taking like a lifetime perspective of learning
1: yeah of training wow the training side i find i suppose the finance side where i'm like yeah spend money spend money <laughs> i am a lot more interested in training um a medical education is, is a well-established thing now um how to not inspire i suppose but how to teach because everyone's slightly different mm. how do you teach procedure how do you teach a skill You definitely, you can be amazing at doing a procedure, but you might be utterly bad, (laughs) without swearing, at at teaching someone. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because, you know, even... Well, it's a different skill set. Absolutely. You can't, I mean, some people are very talented, you're good at both the majority of the times you're either better than one and the other. Yeah. For example, I'm sometimes asked to talk through what I do to medical students or, you know, someone junior than me. The temptation is actually to kind of just do it yourself, show them once and expect them to know. Yeah. God is not going to happen. I know for a fact that I don't learn that way. Yeah. Some people learn that way. They have to watch and they kind of get it. But in medicine, unfortunately, there used to be a saying called see one, do one, teach one. Right. see one
2: Yeah.
1: do one yeah. and then teach one Yeah. but you know it's definitely not like that at all now it's a lot more hand-holding a lot more are you ready for this mm-hmm. sort of thing luckily uh, I don't think I'll survived very well with hey hey you'll be fine I trust you goodbye <laughs> um, but the teaching style is also very important as a doctor to teach it on
2: because mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. who is it going to be yeah. when you get ill
0: totally yeah
1: um, and and I'm very grateful, actually. The line of work I do, everyone is extremely good at teaching. I don't know what it is. That is because they're all married with children. They have a lot more patience. Okay. As compared to me, who's got no children, and I look around, oh, God, impatient, impatient. Um, I don't know, but it's, it's a really important skill to have. And so I'm very intrigued, I think, in recent years to look at teachers' educational mm. work, um even the the recreational stuff i do um how they teach
0: yeah that's really interesting
1: and you can see a lot more similarities or things you want to learn from them or you think oh god the way people break it down in this way is great yeah um the way this person encourages question is good Mm -hmm. um because there's no such thing as a stupid question because unless you ask how do you know you yeah, want yeah, to yeah. figure it out by meditation <laughs> on how to do procedures. Um, but yeah, the, the training side is very yeah, it's very important and also takes up a lot of time and money.
0: So like yes. we were we were talking earlier about your mum. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, and then we were we were kind of describing how people engage in trying to like heal themselves from ailments. Mm. And there's a kind of really interesting dynamic there around uh, evidence, evidence-informed mm-hmm. practice
2: mm-hmm.
0: and also the amount of information out there in, in the popular sphere mm-hmm. and pe- people just trying to, trying anything. I'm, do you know what I'm trying to say? I know what I'm I do, I, say, yeah?
1: um, I think this partly plays on psychology as well um when people are ill it makes them do weird and wonderful things sometimes you can't get the logic um there are patients not in well i, I don't want to say infrequently but there are certainly i remember one case that some patient had a cancer it's definitely cancer um in the breast so upon hearing that she's got that she i don't know that she accepted her diagnosis or not, but when it's recommended to her that this, you know, under, I don't want to use conventional, but at least in Western medicine, we recommend mastectomy, chemotherapy, radiotherapy, or a combination of either one or the other, she decided her whole medicine. What drives an educated, with a university degree, person to do that when... When there's, as far as I'm aware not much evidence of herbal medicine curing and I think I might be shot by people out there by this mm. but of you know if you've got breast cancer maybe herbal medicine ain't going to be the one that cure you
0: of it so like
1: but it, it makes you do it, it makes you go it makes you make decisions that other people would often question you a lot um, and unfortunately the same lady returned when Obviously, she, uh, I didn't want to say obviously to say the obvious, but it didn't cure her. Mm. So she came back much, um, much at a later stage than operable yeah, yeah. with breast cancer. And that was that. Yeah. Um, and there are often a lot of regret when the people realise, not realise when they, you know, the doctors tell you again, or well, you know, we've talked about this in the first appointment that we don't recommend herbal medicine or homeopathy or, or you know, meditating in Himalayas um, for this condition. We do recommend this, that, and the other. But then I kind of see it the other side. You know, if some people don't want to go through operation or chemotherapy um, or other types of conventional medicine, and they want to see if their way would make them holistically as a person feel better Mm. because actually you know it's not guarantee either that these conventional things we recommend work either there's always a chance of relapsing into that Um, but the choices of going into alternative medicine is i think is a very interesting one
0: so you talked about psychology and i think sorry i just thought it was snowing it's not snowing Leaves are just falling (laughs) i was like wow okay yeah um you talked about psychology and one of the things that we talk about is a person being ready for change and what i mean by that is that you know if a family is um coming to terms of a diagnosis you might not choose to uh, offer certain options if they're not perceived to be ready because that that will kind of that will essentially delay them or harm them because they haven't they haven't mourned properly they're not they're not ready for change but I suppose the difference is in in that in in a situation where someone has breast cancer there's a kind of a timer ticking in a way that there might not be if someone has has their child been given an autism diagnosis you know yeah yeah um so that's what that that's the first thing I thought um,
1: Absolutely, the t- the timeline is really important because it progressed. Can- okay, there's slow-growing cancer, there's fast cancer, and you, you sometimes just don't know how fast or how slow. And you do want to, when as you give them a diagnosis, you want to be giving patients the options of treatment. Yeah. And I think doctors in that sense, maybe, by and large, and I don't want to generalize, but we are kind of like, this is the problem, we offer you solutions. to it, yeah. And we don't really... I mean, actually, let's just use me as a as a person because I don't see the point of beating around the bush of saying when you're ready next week, we'll give you the option of surgery. although
0: um, well, to push you on that, so I, I think being direct is interesting. I mean being direct is useful.
2: Hmm. But no, if you myself. give
0: me if you give me a breast cancer diagnosis, hmm. I'm I'm just thinking that I'm gonna be in shock, I'm gonna have high levels of adrenaline. Oh yeah. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be empathizing with you. Who knows? Who knows whether I'm going to be able to make a balanced, rational choice Absolutely. about about options? Yeah, yeah, Probably yeah. not because of my physiological arousal. Yeah. And so I suppose I wonder how you know how does one deal with that?
1: I don't work so much on the breaking bad news bit. In actual mm-hmm. fact, so let me get this right. I do break bad news, and it's not in the mind of my work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, though we do see uh, we do see on scans a lot of new diagnoses of cancer or things that's going worse way and whatnot but we are not the one who breaks it but usually with a cancer pathway you are it is rushed in a sense that we want to give you the treatment
2: yeah yeah yeah
1: understandably but that's also the thing of we understand that patients are not going to remember 100%. I mean, if they remember 10%, I'll be very impressed. (laughs)
2: Because
1: I for sure don't remember 10% of my day. I can't expect people to remember the same from a consultation. But there's usually a a nurse dedicated to that condition. So there'll be a stomach cancer nurse or breast cancer nurse or this, that. And and actually, those people are hugely important in bridging the gap. Mm. Because they will be the one who ring back and go... Well, I know that we had that discussion like five days ago, how do you feel about it? Um, Would you like to, we've got provisionally an appointment time for you on next Friday. Can you come so then we can discuss next option? Mm. So it's rushed in the sense that we're not going to, we're not going to wait two years until we give you something. But we do realise that some people are better or, for the lack of a better word, are just more efficient in processing that information and mm. to move on from there and make a decision. Mm. Um, and some people aren't. And, and then when you're in shock, you're in shock, what can you do? Yeah,
0: totally. And that's and that, that's good to hear that, that there's a kind of, you know, a process uh, yeah. as you described it like a you know a bridge. You were talking about um herbal medicines, uh describing more of a kind of holistic approach mm-hmm. to treatment. And I suppose I, I have mixed feelings on that you know I, I think that you know and, and, and may, maybe I'm contradictory in, mm. in, in my in my feelings but you know when I think about something like homeopathy mm. I think that you know there's zero evidence of efficacy apart from maybe placebo absolutely um, yeah. but that's
1: again our feeling I suppose okay. you have
0: vulnerable people yeah. um, you know making making decisions based upon emotion and fear and these kind of things but on the flip side, you know, I suppose there are some options on the pathway that might be really effective,
2: yeah. and also
0: lead to like a reduction in quality of life, or, or you know, something like that. Um, so it's a co- it's a really complicated picture in
2: terms of choosing is, what to do, right? Um,
1: because, for example, and I'm not shy about this, I suffer from chronic UTI, which is a urinary tract infection. So. A lot of bladder infections I have, a lot of them, a few of them a year, a few of them a month sometimes. It's awful. i um, I tried antibiotics, I've tried cranberry extracts. It's, it is, All the cranberry. it's Yeah. And <laughs> you know, when you have the condition and your doctor, you're about the worst patient, you will go on to every single scientific <laughs> paper you can see, you read about it, and the same thing will happen. You will take antibiotics, or well, I will anyway, and then I'll take the cranberry extracts and then expect the magic to happen. Um there were instances where both did not work and I was just in pain and a lot of discomfort. And I just literally go for herbal medicine.
2: Mm. Um,
1: don't know whether it's a placebo thing or not. I've literally tried old wives' tail, you know, something like marshmallow roots or something. I don't know, something really random and out of the blue. Tried it, it worked. You know, and some people might say, what's the evidence in that? And I would love to see the evidence in that, and you know, what works, what not. Personally, I don't care if it works, if it works. Yeah, if it works.
2: Yeah.
1: And some people might feel that way. I acknowledge I might be minority, I might be majority, who knows. And there will be people who say, no, I will not do it until there's evidence for me. And there was like people like my mum who would be like, oh, I'll just do whatever my friend tells me to do. Yeah. Um, so I, it's a personality thing.
0: So I read a book called Cure, mm. and it talked about... the the science behind the kind of mind-body connection in terms of placebo and nocebo Mm -hmm. effects. And what was really interesting is that some of the evidence that the author was talking about kind of described reduction in inflammation, um, Mm -hmm. increase in antibodies, you know, really kind of like quite micro scale changes based upon uh, a total placebo, uh, total um, like control sugar pill, uh, medicine. And, and, that, and so that kind of made me interested in uh, the possibilities there. Um, and certainly, that, so that there's a website where you can order placebo pain medication. Um, and, oh. and just by taking this um, red pill, you will, you know, the, 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 ev- the evidence based from this research has shown experience reduction in pain. Um, and something that she was talking about was um, a re- the application in terms of reducing side effects of medication. Mm-hmm. So giving a particular medication uh, for for a time period alongside um, placebo pill, green pill, let's say, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then reducing the active medication and seeing a, main, a maintaining in the um, effects. For yeah. example, painkilling and a reduction in the side effects, which which was quite cool. Um,
1: I. Thing, the placebo thing you know everyone just goes oh it's placebo I think there's a lot more we don't understand about the placebo side because if we can tweak it right then it might be a whole new world of development out there I just think we are not very good with knowing how the mind and the body connects
2: yeah.
1: I think that's the fundamental thing in it. and I'm definitely an advocate of just because there's no evidence for it doesn't mean that it's not there
0: so okay this it's is a this spiritual is,
1: thing now isn't it you know do you believe in a god and just because evidence does not show god is here do you you know do you steal stay keep on believing in it you know things like that and it becomes I so think
0: yeah i think like silent. all right let, let's avoid god the, the philosophy of god but let's kind of stick with um what we're talking about in terms of like all right uti and, oh, yeah. and marshmallow or whatever yeah, right yeah. so you are you're an informed medical professional yeah all right i'd like to think (laughs) and you you know you you took some conventional options uh, you also took some like less conventional options Mm. like how how would you advise people navigate like the the combination of of kind of treatments that they choose to do or like are there websites you use or like a process that you would go through to decide how best to treat yourself
1: um I think it's super hard to find a balance, and I still find it difficult at times when I, you know, researching my mum's condition or like my chronic UTI, for example. There's there's a lot of I don't want to, for lack of a better word, there's a lot of people who want to make money mm. by giving you hope. Yeah. Sure. If you go into Amazon, for example, there'll be e-self help books on chronic UTI. And I had definitely fallen for the trap of getting one. Has it told me anything I did not know? No. Mm. But when you are, I think mean, that's the issue. When you when you're a bit desperate, you want options. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You are willing to give it a try. Um, I I think the advising bit is difficult because I myself find it very difficult to find the right balance. Um, but as an informed medical profession, I certainly would go. This is me. I respect that everyone feels very differently about mm. this, but this whole, you know, there's a lot of bashing around on oh, don't take antibiotics, to that and the other. Um, I know for a fact that I've got an infection and say I can actually prove that as a bacterial infection, then antibiotics will help. Mm. Um, How do you know? I guess it's by experience, but navigating through so much information now through social media websites it's and you don't know what is literally fake news or yeah, fake yeah. science or yeah. fake this and the other and and i genuinely sometimes struggle to know what is real and yeah. what's not because even the scientific evidence can be i do not want to use manipulation but there's certain ways you can write about something to make it sound Better or worse? Totally,
2: yeah. You
1: know, Daily Mail, great spin doctor. Well,
0: I mean, not even a Daily yeah. Mail. I mean, you know, there, there was a great psychological study which wrote up, it presented a paper to academics, three, three conditions. One was text, one was the same text with some graphs, one was the same text with some brain scans, and then the academics were asked to kind of rate, you know, the, the reliability, the rigor, yeah, yeah. um how novel they thought the paper was. And, you know, just by having some brain scans in Brains there, sits. which didn't even correlate to the, no. to the paper. <laughs> just
1: for show. Yeah, just for just show. Just for giggles.
0: And these are, in, you know, these are informed people dealing with academic information, and yeah. they were completely yeah. taken in by this, you know. Um, I suppose, like, I'm just thinking you have, you know it's hard to know the entire landscape of of research, which is a difficulty. But if you are a person with limited time and you're like, I really want some help with my, my UTI, whatever, Mm -hmm. like as well as talking to a medical professional, I suppose there's like always the temptation to just jump on Google.
1: How do we protect ourselves? I think Google is, I certainly think Google is not a bad idea. And I do, I do think we are now at the age of, you should be able to, we shouldn't hide anything from anyone. Uh, but just be aware that there's lots of fake stuff out there. And mm. There's a lot of unfounded claims. And there are people who are there to make money out of your desperation. I think that's really important to know. Um, but also there are more, if you like, more found, like there are more evidence-based websites like, I probably need to, look up these but there are things like gpu notebooks which is usually gives you very generic information and for example there is psoriasis is a skin condition for example and there will be um, charity organizations like psoriasis uk mm. um, or people like who's got dementia and there'll be an organization with dementia they usually have very good information leaflets mm. to say things you know how to help yourself with this condition and whatnot and those are actually extremely well written yeah i think you usually try to go for those um organizations first to find that information you need there's the generic um you look up this in a moment but the patient gp notebook and something that's really good and actually the gp practice i used to work in you should just into that leaflet. Okay, there. cool. Um, those I think are the best ones to, to start. Um, otherwise, things like Amazon review for certain products. Uh-huh. And this is the route I adventure down. You know, this has 4.9 out of 5 rating. Uh-huh, yeah. There's not much evidence based about it, but you know, everyone says Raven reviews, but take it with a pinch of salt. <clears throat> um, things that I think are very niche I would probably avoid Um, but the whole thing about evidence is fairly difficult to search if you're a lay person I think it's so easy to go on the article and say evidence suggest blah it's good but where is the evidence you know if it's you and I who work in the academic field at times, you can click on the reference and read the paper and you go, well, actually, that's not a great study, is it? Mm-hmm. It's only on like five people, three of them says it's better. <laughs> and that's counts majority, it's so over 50%. Um, but I think the best starting routes will be those organisation leaflets, mm. um, then followed by... Um, or those GP notebook websites, I think those are actually quite legitimate and very supportive. Mm-hmm. The rest, I would just take with a pinch of salt yeah. to the person.
0: Uh, so I think, like, with the wellbeing industry, and, like, you know, I think trying to increase people's wellbeing is good, right? Yeah. But with the wellbeing industry, there's a, a kind of complicated dynamic of putting the expectation on a person, an individual, to try and take their wellbeing into their own hands, right? Yeah. So, like, you know, okay, do do exercise take yeah. supplements you know all this kind of stuff yeah. and so you have this whole new world of like ah oh, these are some things i can do to help myself right but you you know you're not an expert in exercise you don't know what supplements might clash with each other you know there there are these kind of like in, yeah. interesting new realms that people yeah, are like in. you dabbling don't know in. how much
1: exercise is too much you don't know whether you know you're overusing one body grip and give yourself an injury you don't know whether these supplements are actually overloaded with sugar in the first place because what is in the pill how can you prove it yeah um not to be cynical at all but you don't know and i you know i say to people "Oh, I'll, you know be sensible but what is being sensible it's fairly difficult right mm. and how much exercise is too much because for example i remember hearing on um, on the radio once, on, like, advice to people who's got heart conditions, you you always encourage people to do exercise, because actually, without evidence of anything, exercise is good, the question is how much or how little. Yeah. Um, for some people, you can't overdo it, otherwise it actually causes more harm than good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But how do you know? I do think you know.
0: And so I... I can't remember who it was, but they were talking, it might've been Rhonda Patrick, who's a doctor um, uh, focusing on nutrition. And she was saying that nutrition is so difficult because actually when you, when you break it down, we're talking about the specific person Mm. and you know, it might, I I suppose I wonder if you see medicine going in a direction where actually we're, we're breaking it down to the level of the individual in terms of like how much exercise and what supplementation, predisposition to you know certain problems that you can avoid in the future.
1: Yeah, I mean certainly the the gene, the whole gene um research has been quite groundbreaking and in terms of last however many years. Um, there's a lot more individualised treatment. And I think there's a lot of that in in healthcare now. Not necessarily with how much exercise you need specifically and what foods you need to eat, but certainly for a certain condition or even certain types of cancer there's you know for the same or not same lung cancer but for lung cancers there's many 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 different types and one drug might work better than the other and that's I think where the individual thing comes into place because if you test for this receptor which is this thing on the cancer um, whether it's got it or not it might mean that this drug which has got the thing that blocks off the receptor it would work but some people don't have that um, and that's definitely where we're going into because we now want to get a lot of the tissue sample of the cancer to know to know exactly what would work, what doesn't. So there's definitely a lot of individualized stuff going on, which I think in 20 or oh, 20 years ago it didn't happen. Um, I think it's a good thing, but sometimes people don't understand also that because you know you you have these okay cancer survival group where everyone's got cancer in the same room we talk about what how they got to them you know how you know it's very difficult for everyone but they would go oh i'm on this drug and you go oh but i've also got this condition why am i not on this drug yeah but sometimes they don't and then they would be like oh because it's because of this doctor didn't listen to me and he didn't prescribe yeah. this and there's definitely some com- like conversation like this not in uk and my experience but certainly in hong kong um But everyone's very different. And I Mm. think some people don't realise that, that even you are different individually and your cancer or condition are individually very different. Your, whoever on the street has a UTI and my UTI are very different.
0: Yeah, It's so hard, like, because it's a time-limited interaction, how much information is it possible to give someone to help them understand exactly why you're doing what you're doing, you know, and I think about my work as a psychologist you know I work in a person-centered way we create recommendations interventions together and yeah there's a whole depth of of uh kind of psychological theorizing that I don't share with them because it would take too long it's you know it it is irrelevant
1: for them there
0: we go and they understand
1: it will it confuse them even further in the same way I um when you try to explain conditions or why you're doing it what you're going to do People nod. <laughs> yeah, yep, yeah, 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 yeah. I follow you. I follow you. And they try to. You look at each other and go, "Do you really follow me?" Yeah. But then it's not uncommon either as I do the procedure or, or do the hard thing, and they go, "So what is happening right now?" You go, and it's not anyone's fault. It's just you can't explain a lot in a short limited time.
0: When I meet someone and I go, hi, my name's Joe, what's your name? And then they tell me their name. And at that exact instant, I just tune out and don't oh, remember their Jesus. name. Yes. You know, tell like th- this yeah. is this yeah. is the thing. And if I have an hour with a, a family and people from school and I have certain priorities, which are really important in terms of like making them feel comfortable advocating yeah. for them. There's, yeah. there's a really limited amount of time for like facilitating them to understand the psychological processes which justify my hypotheses and the recommendations yeah, yeah, yeah. you know so i suppose like it's the same with you there's a kind of a hierarchy of things that have to be discussed you know yeah
1: yeah the the sort of why we're doing it the risk of doing it uh but why we think that the benefits outweigh the risk mm. um but you know if it's like bringing my car to a garage and someone tell me this is literally, I think this is the, this is one of the times I can really relate to what I do on the other side, which oh. is people tell me this car <laughs> found out this bit is the issue. And therefore we have to fix it by doing this, that and the other. And I, you know, at the beginning I usually can follow. You know <laughs> and then they go, yeah, so it's going to take a day or two. And I think I can, I can, honestly tell you I would remember the first bit I remember the last bit and I'd always remember how much it will cost me quote yep. me the middle part of why are we doing this I have no idea I would literally break it down to cannot drive if I don't get this <laughs> now. and I don't I you know some people have better understanding and my understanding of a car is very limited and yeah. I think this is how patients definitely feel about their bodies
0: of course yeah that make, um, that make, that's a really great analogy that's
1: actually the only analogy I can think of or or literally my car is behaving the weird way I bring it to the garage, it does not do it anymore. It's very much like the patient going, it always hurts here, but now that I'm here, it doesn't hurt. Yeah. Yeah,
2: you
0: yeah.
1: know, it, it happens.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, that's you know,
1: really in, funny. And that's really, I, I really feel like a patient, not that I'm a patient, but my car, is, car is a patient, but yeah. I am a patient. the
0: patient. Good anxious parent.
1: Yeah, I am the very anxious parent who just nod um, and will accept. Uh, so, yeah, whoever's listening to this, just give me a good discount
2: <laughs> yeah, Not my
1: yeah. MOT, notes.
2: Um
1: But this is, I think this is the analogy. And I see a lot of, the more I go on in medicine, the more I see a lot of similarities and all walks of life to what I do. Be it cars, be it training, um, and be it just figuring things on your own how to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think it takes a. You know, I used to think you just study and you just do your work, you try to do your best, and that's how you progress in your career. But it's a lot more complicated than that. Yeah, totally. But as with any other
0: profession, I suppose. So, like, you're quite deep in your. Well, you said you're not that deep in your career in relation mm-hmm. to people who are really deep in their career, but compared to your basic training.
2: Yeah.
0: I'm curious if you've got any, like, general tips for people about how to be healthier. Be healthier?
1: Oh, God. So, like, Um, just
0: an example. One thing I didn't know, NHS Direct recommends supplementing vitamin D in the winter. I didn't know that. But, but, uh, apparently, this is a general recommendation, you know? So, there we go. (laughs) We learn something
1: new every day. Um, I... Think <laughs> I think trying to be healthy is bloody difficult. Um <laughs> it's a constant struggle. Um how to be healthy. I won't really touch so much on the physical side because actually you exercise, but not too much to the point that you're gonna sort of paralyze yourself the yeah. next day. And um, you eat well, meaning that this shouldn't we should avoid fast food, but I think everyone knows that. I think it's the mental well-being.
2: Mm. Um,
1: I guess it's the more important one at the moment in my life. I would recommend. Um, because I think everyone, or at this day and age, stress is a massive thing. Be it stress from a combination of different areas from your life or a, a one reason in your life that's particularly bothering you at the moment, that like gives you stress. I think mental health is... Probably it should be seen equal as physical health, which I didn't think it is
0: um, I, I did a talk at a school the other day, and actually we were just talking about health or well-being you know it, it, it's funny that we that we make a distinction between physical and mental yeah. health actually you know because when you think about the, the cycle between thoughts and, and your body, actually you know my my thoughts can mean that i get ill you know in terms of stress and cortisol and a suppression of the immune system um my thoughts can also mean that i get better faster yeah you know so like it, I, maybe it's because of a, a bias in terms of like how we live our lives but it is funny that we choose to, dis, to define,
2: just to define yeah
1: yeah when they're both very interlinked i think we can't have one but not the other you know be okay in life mm. but the mental health part i think to how to be healthier and i you know, you would be very surprised mental health issue is a massive problem. Not problem, but it's also a big thing for us as medical health professions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we are, work can be very difficult, demanding, and and I don't think we are the healthiest of all mentally. So I think everyone should try and get better. And I think, how can we do that? I think definitely talking about it, mm-hmm. um, not making a taboo. Um definitely you know people say oh what's what's the good of talking about problem when you can't solve it I really disagree with that I think if talking or socializing I think socializing is a massively important thing
0: I mean look like even on an intuitive basis if I have a problem and I don't talk about it yeah I ruminate oh god you know the emotion just gets more intense if I talk about it I feel better like Mm -hmm. you know let's not even get into the psychological processes there intuitively i feel like everybody can relate to that you know like on a day-to-day level yeah
1: absolutely and i think i was watching some like animals documentary as you do on on a weekend as you do um and i think humans got language and it's a it's a wonderful thing that because we can now communicate and share our thoughts Mm. with each other i think that makes us very different to other animals who knows how cats communicate, probably they do. But I don't think to the extent of the amount we do as humans. And I think that's where, by communicating, sharing is our strength as humans. And that's how we can also improve our health, by sharing our knowledge, mm. hopefully truthful knowledge. <laughs> yeah, 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 Not fake news. Not Amazon you know. fake news. Um, but things like mental health, there's definitely a degree of how socialising can help. With that, you know, sharing your problems, talking about it, yeah. and I think that's where language comes very much into place because we are one species that can communicate via language, and that's how you know we can. I don't want to say overcome the problem, but that's how we can help with our mental health by yeah. communicating.
0: I just was thinking about the picture that you painted in terms of like seven night shifts in a row, you know, and and I'm just I'm trying to empathise with night four mm. the, the hospital was quiet
2: mm. you
0: you've had a stressful encounter or you know a, a stimulus that, that has caused you to feel stress
2: mm.
0: and your outlets are very limited because of the fact that At your that support time. network are asleep yeah. <laughs> you know yeah, yeah. And, and I can imagine that being really tricky um, especially because you have to regulate enough to be able to continue to to provide a a service you know luckily
1: whatsapp now happens so then you (laughs) complain to your friends anonymously
0: anonymously um,
1: or you yeah i think that's where i mean i was very lucky i had a great um team around me at the time so luckily about the foundation years is that you're as much as people may feel they're alone you're not just there's usually Mm. in the hospital there'll be quite a few of you Mm. not all working together at the same time that night but there's a lot of people in the same position and I think there's something very reassuring when you sort of stop and have a think and go I don't think this was only stressful for me Mm. I think my peers would have found it very stressful even my boss probably would find it very stressful it normalizes it um yes a, a certain degree of normalization definitely helps and I think the insight of knowing that it is actually difficult don't beat yourself about it and then talk about it. And I think I wouldn't have survived my first year had I not had a, a partners in crime yeah. um, that you finish a night shift and sort of like stand next to the car and go, oh my God, that was really difficult. Mm. Oh my God, I don't want to come back tomorrow. And the other person go, don't worry. I think we can do this together. And there's something about we can do this together.
2: Mm. Mm.
1: Or talking about it, literally. I mean, what have you achieved? Probably nothing about that talk, but...
0: Have you heard of short circles? No. So my, my friend Heather told me about this. And... I, I know not as much as I could do, but I seem to remember it comes from healthcare settings and the, the, it's essentially a process of um, discussing something difficult. And it's really, what I seem to remember about it is that there are different stages. And so in the first stage you have essentially a confidential situation where you just rant and rave You can swear It's it's not about being professional Uh, But you're you're doing it with colleagues And then essentially You then decide on What you're comfortable sharing With a wider group of colleagues in, in, In this kind of Supervisory setting And so you share Like the Watered down Not watered down In terms of like Missing information But like maybe you're not swearing And then you think about once you've kind of had that containment, what some practical steps could be. Mm. But what I like about that is that it, it has the human element of like, this is fucking terrible and, and yeah. I like feel like shit. Yep,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. And
0: then you have the, okay, so the reasons that I felt bad were, and yeah. the help that I could need, yeah. you know, might be, and, yeah. and so it kind
2: of, In it's an, I will do. Yeah. Yeah,
1: actually, I, this is literally, that sums up my daily life. <laughs> okay. <like> struggle from, <laughs> Day one, or at least definitely, the way you describe this this thing is is how I go about my day. When mm. i have difficult. Yes, it's all difficult encounters. One that actually really sums it up very well. At least is the model I've been working with, and it has worked.
2: Yeah, swear and first.
1: Swear first. Sometimes loudly. <laughs> sometimes internally. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, it certainly by vocalizing and sharing with people that you trust Mm. Um, it definitely helps but that rely on you having a group of people that you can trust and share yes which you can't take for granted either yes uh, for many reasons
0: and so I really I've been thinking a lot about supervision you know Mm. essentially clinical supervision for educators Mm. Um, and you know I I don't know what what kind of processes exist for medical professionals you know but I would hope that there would be uh supervision processes and, and if there aren't, there probably should be.
1: Yeah, I mean there's mentoring scheme, but it that's that's not so much on a day-to-day basis. Mm. Um, I have been extremely super lucky that it's almost like an informalized for me anyway, it's a informalized in there mm-hmm. sort of thing. Um yeah, okay. I never had to have a so where I think, oh God, I need that because it's always been there.
2: Yeah. That, and that I don't is. know
1: whether that's just me being extremely lucky or, or would people think this is quite the norm in our setting. And I think, you know, teamwork doesn't only encounter getting things done, it also means supporting each other.
2: Yeah, getting
1: up. Um and a lot of it is to do with luck, whether you get on with people you work with, um, or you have that connection. And yeah a lot of it really does depend on luck i have to say.
0: Yeah i think that's i, I mean i think that's true in, in life generally but i i really like what you said there around teamwork is not just about getting things done yeah. because actually you you have a whole preparation period of getting yourself ready to be a caring professional right then you're doing some actual caring stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and then you have a whole kind of after after period where you're like okay i need to decompress or debrief yeah, or yeah, yeah. do some research or whatever yeah. but there's a you know there's a cycle of interaction to help people and it's not always just about face to face or like scan reading a scan or whatever yeah, yeah, right
1: yeah there's a lot of maybe it might slow things down but like there's a lot of socializing when you at least in the in the line of work that we have when for example interpreting a difficult scan if you've got people around you it's very common for one of us to go or even ask bosses to go yeah. Can I get you to have a look at this? Yeah, and you both look at it together, and then if you're still not sure, to, you come over. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, And
1: they all look, and then you chat about it, and they might not be immediately, and you might have some intellectual chats about what this is. But afterwards, about yeah, this is really weird, isn't it? And the other yeah, I I've seen something like that before, but you know, I can't remember what it was called. And you know, da da. And they socialise, you kind of chit chat mm-hmm. about it, have a banter about it sometimes, and then you just move on. But it's a. The ability to be able to ask yeah. for help and to be able to group, debrief, brief, whatnot is a great thing that we can have.
0: So I will link the article I'm thinking of in the show notes, because I can't remember the title of it, but it was about collective intelligence. And the paper was really, I thought, really cool because it essentially was showing that the team was greater in terms of its performance than the sum of its parts and 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 I kind of was reminded that when you were talking about the fact that you know you're you're just talking maybe informally about this scan, but actually you're you're able to come to a better
1: yeah
0: uh, conclusion as a result of having other people around you. You know,
1: I absolutely think that's quite key to to I don't I didn't want to use the word success, but it certainly is a way of improving your your ability, I mm. think. and you learn from each other as well.
0: Did you take a Hippocratic Oath?
1: We collectively did. It was about, you know, our year was massive. Uh, When we graduated, we had to split into the morning graduation or afternoon graduation. Uh, And so the morning graduation, there will be a selected person, usually someone in the student society of some description. Um, They stand up and they read the Hippocratic Oath. I can't remember we had to all read it together like in school. A one person like, I solemnly I remember, swear yes yeah, so I think I think I definitely think it did happen but it do I remember it not much it's just kind of a ceremonial step
0: no, but I was just thinking on my way here I was like what, what, sure what apart from it. maybe the police or the army like who who nowadays swears an oath <laughs> like
1: yeah. Yeah. an oath. oath you know what does it even mean um but no I think for graduation we did
0: but, but there you, was
1: about 400 of us so or split into half so you can't do 200 individual
0: yeah yeah someone that would was be like a whole miming group. away
1: yeah so uh, I think it was a collective. though
0: but do you do you feel like that is something that's in your head like if you're walking down the street or you're on a plane or did you know what I'm saying though no, like do you feel like that's something that is in is in your mind in terms of how you live your life uh
1: yes I suppose it
0: you kind of have to say yes.
1: Yeah. Really. <laughs> no, this is gonna go down very badly, isn't it? Um yes, I can tell you there's five literally many emotions that go through interestingly say playing, because I was literally fourth month into my first year, first foundation year training. And uh I was on the flight back, a long haul flight, and then halfway in go can any doctor go to you know this bit? And I just thought to myself, I just, you know, not long ago, I graduated. I don't think I'm up for this. But then you don't know, you don't know who's going to come up. Yeah. Right. You could yeah. well be the only person. But I think as chance played it out, there's always a lot more medical professionals than you're playing in the plane. But, you know, being like, you know, oh God, I should do the right thing and go up. And I had not drank any alcohol on that occasion. Um, went up and, you know. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what really happened, but yeah, no, yeah. no no harm came out of it. It was a happy ending for everyone involved. Um but there's a lot of reluctance and I not long I think about a year ago we were on Eurostar coming back from Paris and again it was can any medical professional come and help? And I had a boozy lunch before yeah. that and I took sort of Looked over to whoever was traveling with me. Like, I, I do think I'm in the right yeah. frame of mind because it's better to not go and stink of alcohol and go, mm. oh, what's happening? Um, so then my other companion went and luckily, apparently, he was like, oh, guess how many medical professionals there are on the whole train of Eurostar? Turns out to be like more than eight. I love it. Uh, so then he came back and said, oh, there was no use of me then.
0: Yeah, we had um, a specialist in that area.
1: <laughs> yeah, but it's... um. I think some people, I think I certainly have a sort of scared feeling, especially because I do not deal with many sick patients face to face. Cause I, I do a lot of, so sort of from away from the whole mm. thing. So if you're ever gonna have to need help, you always want an A&E a clinician or someone who does general medicine or general surgery they are you star start and yeah, say, yeah. don't get someone who sort of reads scans they, <laughs> yeah, they will yeah. just come on but look a bit scared and you look a bit scared <laughs> it's just not great uh but no there's always I think I think it's fair to say there's always a calling yeah I'd like to think there's always a calling in all of us when people need help
0: I, so I I think what you made me think of is like the the complexity there right because yeah. You, you describe being nervous, then you're like, okay, I should go. But then you're like, huh, well, is it better that I go a bit drunk or don't go? I think, you know, I think, like I if, think
1: the rule of thumb is you don't go If you're drunk, if don't you're go. Drunk. I mean, the, that's the, you don't even contemplate. Don't even, like do, it. Yeah. Don't even do it. Yeah. Um, I think... The only issue is sometimes when you feel a bit rustic,
0: rusty. Or you're, t- or you're rusty tired, maybe. Yeah. I mean, like, it's a tough tired, one. Tired,
1: you'll be surprised. I think the adrenaline ru- um, rush comes
0: mm. in. Also, doctors are always tired. I, yeah, I forgot. Exactly. Yeah,
1: uh, But the adrenaline rush comes in in a situation of need, that's for sure. Um, but definitely, any drugs, alcohols, like, forget it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just don't even rely on that. Um, but definitely, there will be doctors who have not practised the same mm. field of medicine I think some people always get my parents for example and go you're a doctor why can't you do this and you're like well you, people don't really understand the complexity of there's many different specialties and yeah, like, well, yeah. not everyone would know everything that's just the nature of it it's such a, a massive field mm-hmm. even within the same specialty you might not know actually no, no one knows everything
2: yeah yeah,
1: at all and people often just go oh you're a doctor can you not yeah. I think the most favourite one will be like oh well you're a doctor, can you look at this rash? And you're yeah, like, yeah. I never, I don't even know how to do it. Stop showing sick. me your
0: genitals. Yeah,
1: like stop it guys. There's a dinner party, but still. Um, but it's also the realisation that not all doctors know everything.
0: Yeah, for real. That's true. And
1: I think a doctor that uh, states that he knows everything about something, it's, it's a lie.
0: Yeah, be wary.
1: Be very wary. Run away. Opposite direction.
0: Yeah. I'm curious about how, so like, okay, as a psychologist, I have friends with kids. There is, there is this kind of, like, dynamic where, you know, I might get asked some questions. So, in a way, my profession affects my life. Mm-hmm. And I always thought about dentists, right? Mm-hmm. I was like, if I was a dentist, I would probably find it hard to kiss people. Like, do you know what I mean? As in, like, because you're always up in people's mouths and it would be a bit yeah, gross. Yeah, or,
2: yeah,
1: yeah um...
0: Do you find being a doctor affects your life in that way? Like...
1: Not at no. all, but I think it might be the odd one out. Okay, cool. Um, my other half is a dermatologist, so he looks at people randomly on the screen, and so I reckon he's got this condition about his rash, and I, I literally think to myself, I cannot care less. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: it doesn't know, it hasn't affected me in that sense. Um, no, not at all.
0: Okay, that's good. I'm glad. I was just yeah. thinking, like, you know, understanding the way that, like infections travel or you know whatever you might be like I don't want to shake anyone's hand or like you know your partner yeah, I, ah, might I, do that. I know you have an incredibly contagious skin yeah.
2: condition yeah, just yeah. Don't really touch you me. get yeah. away like
1: yeah oh no no luckily not and I haven't put a hand gel around here to like yeah
2: that no, is no, true no I'm just a bit like whatever
1: yeah I don't want to say like, let, let nature fix its cause but definitely um you know no I don't go crazy about cleaning either as you can probably see from my house uh, but no I I like to think I'm fairly normal in that sense the only thing I guess is when I see people with very juicy veins or I used to I don't anymore mm. I think when you are a junior doctor or when mm. um, when you start learning how to put IV drips in people also called this uh you look at other people and go oh, you've got very juicy vein it'll make it very easy to take blood or this that and the other I yeah. used to feel
0: that way I don't anymore
1: that's good I just don't
0: even it's a bit of vampiric. yeah Absolutely.
1: exactly um, but I stopped thinking about that
0: so I feel like that's quite a nice place to wrap up really yeah you, we, we, we've we, chatted a lot we have and we've been on a journey from your your start you're thinking about what medicine might mean yeah we've heard about your practice and we've also now heard that you have stopped looking at people's veins yeah I way. know a life-changing events. So it's kind of full circle. Uh, I love that. I feel like the NHS is something that I know so little about, and I've actually used a lot. So it's really, really great to sit down with Fee and get to ask her questions and, and probe. And I really would like to know what you thought and whether you have any outstanding questions. Um, you can get in touch. With the normal details, you can find them in the show notes. Uh, Fiona and I spoke afterwards and actually GP Notebook, which she talked about, is mostly for professionals. Um, As a member of the public, you can find some information. So it is an evidence-based tool, but most of the juicy stuff is for students or doctors who make accounts. Apart from that, Please share the episode with anyone who you think would find it interesting. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast, and I'll see you next time.